Heavenly Father, we ask for your help this morning, whether our hearts are ready to sing for joy or whether they are troubled and downcast. Please speak to us from your word. Remind us of the truth and the reality of who you are and of the glorious future that awaits those who trust in Christ. In his name we ask. Amen. Well, that Psalm, Psalm 23, that Michael just read for us is probably one of the best-known bits of Scripture uh, anywhere, really, isn't it? Um, personally, Psalm 23 was the first bit of the Bible that I uh, memorized, and I can still remember it at about the age of seven or eight, stood at the front of Sunday school with my eyes half-closed, trying to get to the end of it. Uh, perhaps you remember singing those words in school or hearing them read at a wedding or, or maybe more likely a, a funeral. What is it about Psalm 23 then that makes it so uh, popular? Why is it uh, still meaningful for so many different types of people today? Uh, Well, first of all, it's short, uh, probably the reason why it was chosen to be the first bit of the Bible that I memorized. Uh, And it's beautiful, isn't it? The language of Psalm 23 is is poetic, sticks in our minds. The real reason, though, why I think Psalm 23 has endured And the reason why it is treasured by all sorts of people today is those two words which come right in the middle at the beginning of verse 4, even though. Because even though speaks of the valley of the shadow of death, and even in those circumstances, even in those contexts, David, the writer of this psalm, says that God is his shepherd, that he's still able to trust him that he's still able to go on, even in the most desperate of circumstances. And all of us need that. Some of us will need that right now, this morning, but all of us will need it at some point. When the storms of life crash, when uh, the rug beneath us is pulled out, as it were. How is it then that David is able to move from someone who feels like he's been abandoned in the valley of the shadow of death to, by the end of this psalm, being sure that goodness and mercy will follow him all the days of his life. And how can we learn to do the same? Well, I want to look this morning at this psalm uh, just briefly in three sections. Uh, Firstly, we're going to see that uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's in verses 1 to 3. Then the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not fear. Verse 4. Before finally, the Lord is my shepherd, I will live forever. In verses 5 and 6. So first, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Read with me from verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David begins this psalm with a remarkable personal claim on God. David is calling Yahweh the almighty Lord, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, the God who created the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his shepherd. Now, we're familiar with these words, so it could be tempting just to skip over that. And the idea of God being a shepherd isn't particularly unusual. If you were to go to Psalm 78, for example... Um, then that describes God leading Israel, God's people, out of Egypt like a flock of sheep. Uh, Certainly that idea of God uh, corporately being the shepherd of his people is not unusual. 
But the language that David starts to use here in Psalm 23, in verse 1, that is unusual because it's intensely personal. Yes, God is Israel's shepherd, but David also knows God as his shepherd, as the shepherd of his life, as the carer of his heart. David proclaims that the God who is above all things is also intimately involved in every aspect of his life. Literally, he says, Yahweh is my shepherd, I do not lack. And what David means by that becomes clear over the next couple of verses. In verses 2, 3, and 4, David describes how God is the one who cares for his heart, the one who restores his soul, who guides his life, who protects him from harm. It's clear, though, particularly from verse 4, that David is not painting a picture of a charmed life. David's life was not one that was free from care, free from difficulty. He faced incredible pressures. He faced fear for his, his own life. He hardly could be saying that the Christian life was easy, given the life that he has had. Rather, David is saying that since Yahweh, since the faithful shepherd of God's people is his shepherd then he cannot, even in the most desperate of circumstances, really lack anything that he truly needs. If the God who formed the earth and David, who watches over and who loves his people, really is on his side, then David can never really be truly vulnerable. Yes, he might suffer, and yes, he might hurt, but he can never be separated from the God who loves him. David knows that God is the life giver, both in the literal, physical sense and in the spiritual sense. In another psalm, uh, psalm, verse, uh, psalm 34, David says, The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. In other words, those who are uh, physically in this world powerful like a lion, even they are vulnerable at points. They become tired, they become weak. They may lack things which are truly necessary in order to live. But in contrast, those who trust in God are connected to someone who never grows tired, who never grows weak, one who is able to supply all of our needs. As David so beautifully paints a picture for us in verses 2 and 3, God is the one who leads us to green pastures, who stills our soul, who loves to care for us, who delights to restore and to provide for us, just as a shepherd cares for his sheep. And David's statement is uncompromising, If God personally is our shepherd, he says, we will not lack. We have access to a God of infinite power and infinite love, a God who is capable for providing for all our needs and who delights in caring for us. David will not allow any doubt to be cast in God's direction. The only doubt is whether we, like David, can say that Yahweh, almighty God, is our shepherd. A friend of mine says that nearly every concern in the Christian life has at its root the question, is God really good? Is God really trustworthy and does he really care about and really love me? And how can I match that up with whatever is going on in my life now? Well, David's call to his own heart, and I think to us as well, is that we can always say yes to that question. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God cares for you. Yes, he is good. And yes, he is capable of giving you all that you need. And as we're about to see, David says that that is true 
even in the times that we face real pain and real suffering. How can he say this? Well, Paul, writing in the New Testament, argues for exactly the same view. And he argues like this in Romans 8, at verses 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You see, David can step back from the valley of the shadow of death, and he can look back, and he sees the God who led Israel out of Egypt, and he can say, yes, you are the shepherd of God's people, and you are my shepherd too. But sitting here this morning, we can go one better. We can look back and we can call on the God who did not spare his own son for us, who sent the Lord Jesus to the cross for us. And with Paul, we can wrestle with that and say to ourselves, well, if God was willing to do that, how will he not care for us in every area of life? When he's not withhold from us the most precious and best things, his own son, how will he not give us everything else that we need? So the first lesson that David teaches us this morning as he moves from the depths of despair, from desperation to comfort and to restoration, is to look back, to remember who God is and to what he has done for us. God is still God. He's still powerful and mighty. And for those who have confessed our sin and who have called on his name, who are trusting in Jesus, he is our shepherd. He is our redeemer. He is our restorer. He is our guide And he is our source of life. Secondly, our shepherd is always there to protect us, so we need not fear. That's the second point. The Lord is my shepherd, I will not fear. Uh, Verse 4 starts like this. Even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, even, or in some of the older translations, uh, yea, despite, in spite of, the valley of the shadow of death, despite difficulty, despite desperation, David says he will not fear. Now the first thing to say here is that the, the valley of the shadow of death is real. Uh, whether David here in Psalm 23 is thinking of a uh, a literal place of a dark ravine, a road stalked by bandits where perhaps he has been previously attacked. Or whether that image is broader and it pictures the very real danger, the betrayal and the anguish which David has lived through. It is real. And so it demands that, yea, or yet, or even. Even though I face real danger, even though I face things that are truly painful, even though David faces things that threaten his life, even though we face things that seem to pull life apart, even though I suffer, even though I lose my security, even though I lose my friend, even though I have health problems, even though I don't have the things that my heart cries for, even though I stand in the face of death, even then, David says, we need not fear evil though its effects surround us. Why? How can he say that? Well, two reasons he gives us here in verse 4. Firstly, he says, my shepherd is with me. For you are with me. God, David's God, his shepherd, is with him always, even here in the valley of the shadow of death. 
This psalm, as we've already mentioned, is intensely personal, unusually so. But here, as David goes back into the valley of the shadow of death, it becomes even more personal. There's actually a change in verse 4 from the third person in, in verses 1 to 3, where David says, My shepherd, he makes, he leads, he restores. To an even more immediate, you. You are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's almost as if in verses 1 to 3, David has been standing back from the valley of the shadow of death and trying to get some perspective and remembering who God is and what he is like and what he has done and trying to get his bearings again. But now in verse 4, we're plunged back into the valley of the shadow of death with David. And he says, even here, yes, even here, even in my suffering, even in my pain, even in my distress, even facing death itself, God is here. And God is here not in just an abstract sense as if God is everywhere, so he must be here as well, or in the sense that God is, is vaguely conscious or aware of David's circumstances, but he is here, he is present, he is with David. Instinctively, we know, don't we, that a person's presence is extremely precious to us. The joy of just being with the best of friends or the closest of family. I can remember a particular car journey uh, quite a few years ago now, been on a really long journey. It started pre-dawn uh, and it was ending after midnight uh, and we were all so tired that we couldn't even keep up the chit-chat. And a friend turned to me and said, isn't it wonderful that we are such good friends that we don't even have to speak? We can just be together and that's enough. Even more precious to us, I think, is the presence of those that we love, for those who truly care for us when life is falling apart. To have the person who you wish would walk through the door actually walk through the door, that is immensely precious. And David says he will not fear evil. He, he won't stumble in the face of death because the one who he wants to be with him is closer still. His God, his shepherd, the lover of his soul, the sustainer of his life is there is with him. And secondly, we need not fear evil because our shepherd comforts and protects us. Under painful circumstances, a person's presence can be almost all that we need, but better still is the presence of somebody who can really help. David's God is present, but he isn't just present. He's active. David pictures God as his defender who's whose rod, perhaps David is thinking of a shepherd's crook lifting a sheep out of danger, and whose staff is able to hold back those who would attack David. David protects, uh, David's God protects and sustains him. His life cannot be taken from him because it's held firmly in the hands of God. And David remembers that his God his friend, you, you are here with me in my anguish, in this danger. And you're not impotent, but powerful. And so it's like David's theology, which he's shown us in verses 1 to 3, these things that he knows to be true about God, they're not far away from him. He drags them back into what he's experiencing now. And so these are truths not that he can just write pretty sounding poetry about or that he's able to explain to other people. They're his possession. 
They are the things that drive him to call out to God, to pray to him, even in pain and difficulty. And it's here in the valley of the shadow of death, in in the furnace, that David's faith is being refined. And knowing God's presence, knowing God's protection provides real and heartfelt comfort to him. They help him to keep going, even when he's buffeted by trials, even when he is exposed to evil. And so here's our second lesson this morning, to place our faith in the reality of God's love and in his care for us. To trust that he is here with us now, whatever our circumstances, and that he's not asleep, but he's willing and able to help us. And that we need to go back to him and to cling on to that reality when we're tempted to fear. Again, the New Testament helps us we're in a privileged position in comparison to David because we know that Jesus is our good shepherd, don't we? Uh, In John chapter 10, these staggering words are written about Jesus. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus knows us. Jesus knows us with complete intimacy He knows us and he loves us. And he loves us so much that he would have compassion on us, that he would come to earth and that he would suffer alongside us, and that he would lay down under no compulsion other than his love for us, his life. Jesus is our good shepherd. So when David says, my God is with me, we say, yes, my God left heaven for me. When David says God's staff lifts him out of danger and God's rod protects him from evil, we say, Jesus laid down his life for me. Jesus has lifted me out of my sin and out of my shame. Jesus has been nailed to a cross so that everything that condemned me is gone. And Jesus has risen back to life again and defeated death so that I no longer need to fear him. And that's point two. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not fear because God our shepherd is with us and because as he is with us, he will comfort us and he will protect us. Thirdly and finally, the Lord is my shepherd and I will live with him forever. Verse five says this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So if verses one to three were David looking back on who God is and what he has done and verse four was bringing those truths into the reality of what David was facing now as he walked through the shadow of the valley of death. Verses five and six, David looking forward to something beyond the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, The tense changes again uh, as David looks forward to this day, uh, as he hopes for a way through the valley of the shadow of death. But David writes it in a way that is as if it's already happened. Uh, That's the tense of, of the verb here. It's not a future that is far off or uncertain or dreamt of or hoped for in some vague way. It's a reality that has already started unfurling. And David imagines a great banquet, a great victory celebration set before him. 
As despite his present circumstances, David sees himself eating in front of his defeated enemies. David looks to God now as the one who restores his broken soul, as the one who leads him in righteousness and who comforts him even in the face of death. But there is a destination beyond death, which is very real, which David looks forward to. One day, though David knows the reality of God's presence here and now, there will be a greater joy. One day, David will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He will know God face to face, and he will be known by God, and he will know God perfectly. One day, David will pass through the dark ravine of the shadow of death, and he will approach the one who sits in unapproachable light. David knows the certain hope of heaven as he wonders at the sight and the reality of sharing that great banquet meal, that great wedding meal. His suffering retreats in view of it. Just as Paul will later write about the terrible persecution of the early church and will say that they are lights and momentary. David and Paul are not making small the suffering that they endure. They are making big God's glory and the joy of being with him. And they say in comparison, in light of those things, our suffering is small. It's real, but it's not as real as God. I don't know if you've ever seen an athlete visualizing what they're going to do ahead of time. It could be a slightly odd experience if you watch somebody kind of miming a triple jump. I can remember watching a Formula One driver holding out like a dinner plate or something in front of him and with his eyes closed, completing a lap of a circuit with every corner taken, every gear change made. Athletes do those things because they're powerful, they work. Rehearsing and practicing the performance which they want to achieve helps them achieve it. But David is doing something infinitely more powerful here. As he visualizes, as he looks in his mind's eye and he remembers the reality of his go- where he's going, it enables him to keep going through the trials of life now. And David isn't rehearsing his performance here, something that depends on him. He's reminding themselves of the reality of what God has already achieved. David knows that there is an abundance of glory, of pleasure, which is awaiting him in glory and which can anchor him now in reality as he faces the valley of the shadow of death. And so David can write while facing real trials, without lurching into platitude, without writing what comes in the back of a greeting card. In verse 6, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. God's love and God's blessing are as it were, pursuing David. They are driving him onward to this glorious final destination where David will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when all the things that he's facing now, he will be free of. And again, we're in a more privileged position than David. We've seen Jesus' death and resurrection. We've seen our hope of heaven made certain. We will dwell in heaven with God. We will be raised to life and seated with God His resurrection guarantees ours. And whilst we wait, we are promised the permanent indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. So in a sense, we already dwell with him 
as he dwells with us by his spirit. As we conclude then, what does Psalm 23 teach us? Well, Psalm 23 is a beautiful description of God's relationship to each of his people as their shepherd. It shows us how we can live through agonizing circumstances, knowing that we do truly lack no good thing, clinging on to God's felt presence and comfort whilst we look ahead to the day when we will be with him forever, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Lord, thank you that when we look at the cross, we can have no doubt of your love and your care for us. But Lord, we confess that when times are tough, or even when times are easy, we're tempted to forget that and to to look away from you. Lord, please remind us this morning that you care for us. Lord, that whether we face trials on, on every side at the minute or whether we're tempted to forget your care, Lord, that you are with us. Lord, help us uh, to trust in that and help us uh, to keep going while we look ahead to that day when we will be freed from all suffering, uh, from all imperfection, from all sin and from all its effects and where we will dwell in your house forever. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.